You're listening to Inspirational Perspective with Linnell Harris. Inspirational Perspective is all about murdering mediocrity and living the best life possible. Are you living the best life possible? You can subscribe to the Inspirational Perspective blog at www.inspirationalperspective.com. Follow Linnell on social media. Go to Facebook and like the Facebook page, Inspirational Perspective. You can also follow Linnell on Twitter and Instagram at the handle Linnell Harris. In this recording, Linnell continues his series on your mind, your strongest strength, your weakest weakness. In this series, Linnell explores the relationship between the mind and the outcomes we actually produce. In this third part, Linnell explores the topic of self-love. He asks his radio audience, how do you talk to yourself? Is it kind and loving? He also asks, how would you rate yourself when it comes to enemies? Are you your own enemy? Let's join the conversation. Your mind, your strongest strength, and your weakest weakness, part three, with a focus on self-love. And the questions that I'm asking, how do you talk to yourself? How do you talk to yourself? Is it kind and loving or is it nasty and mean? And I'll tell you, I've heard both. I've heard people talk kind to themselves and I've heard them talk really bad. And then the second question is, you know, I'm curious, you know, how would you rate yourself? You know, when it comes to enemies, are you your number one enemy? The one that you have to worry about the most, or maybe you think somebody else is. I have a perspective on that as always. All right. I'm not going to waste any more time. I want to get right into the subject. And the first place I want to go is the question that I asked around How do you talk to yourself? And it really comes, I guess, another way to ask that question or to kind of get you all present to it is when was the last time someone called you a really bad name? Like the last time somebody said something foul to you and you were just kind of like, why are they talking to me? Or, you know, you had that visceral reaction to it or maybe you heard you know, nowadays as adults, you know, you know, people don't necessarily call us out to our face all the time. We hear that somebody's talking crazy about us. When was the last time you heard that somebody was talking about you or you heard that they called you a really bad name? Because often we're so focused on the outside, we're not thinking about the names we may call ourselves on the insides. Back in the 80s, when I was growing up, there was this this uh, phrase that got coined by, I think, most of our moms, those 80s moms. And what they used to say is, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And I know my mom said that to me often, and I've shared that before on the air. And I think a lot of us who are 80s babies, or maybe it was late 70s too, Actually, I'm a late 70s baby, grew up in the 80s. You know, we all remember that. And, you know, I remember my mom used to tell me, like, don't be worried about what they got to say about you. Now, they don't know you. They don't define you. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Now, while I'm saying all that, did you remember the last person who called you that bad name yet? Or the last time you heard somebody say something about you or heard that they said something about you behind your back. And I want to know if you included yourself in the lineup. Like, did you include yourself 
were you the last person that called you a bad name? You know, if you had to go back and remember, would it be someone else or more than likely yourself? You're probably like, well, Linnell, I don't say bad things to myself, but I hear it all the time. All too often I hear friends and colleagues label themselves as idiots like, ah, I'm an idiot or, you know, call themselves a a dummy or even say, I'm stupid. I'm stupid. I can't believe I just did that. And it comes out so crisp and clean like, you know, we don't even think about it. But in essence, I mean, that's a bad name. Um, and then some of you probably put something on the front of it, right? When I say something on the front of it, I mean a uh, four-letter word that you know probably ends in an ing, and you throw that in front of the idiot or the dummy or the stupid. But if you're talking about yourself, wouldn't it be the same thing? And wouldn't that be just as bad as if somebody else said it to you? I don't know. It's something to think about. You know, it's funny. How if somebody walked up to you right now and said that, how offended you would be. But some of us will say it about ourselves in a nanosecond and think nothing of it. Why is that? Oh, something to think about. Either way, we call ourselves these names, idiot, dummy, call ourselves stupid after. And typically we do it after we misspeak or we make a mistake. And, you know, we say that it's okay. And again, I'm giving us the PG version, right? So my question is, have you been guilty of this type of self-defamation? And if not, I would say, great, don't start. Like, don't let tonight be the night that you start. But if you are guilty, I want to present an argument for why you should stop. Like, if already... You're not convinced just based on what I've shared so far. Then I want to present. I will say three arguments for why you should stop calling yourself bad names and why you should break the habit and why you should insist that anybody else that does it in a loving, playful way, because that's something else we tend to do. Right. Like, oh, that's my boy. Like, I know what he mean. He don't mean that. Well, oh, that's my girl. Like, of course, you know, she don't mean that. We let, you know, that person who we have a close affiliation with call us things that we wouldn't let other people call us because, well, we cool like that. So here's my argument for why you should not allow that. Here's argument number one. As children, we began to effectively communicate about 24 hours to 36, I'm sorry, 24 to 36 months, not hours, (laughs) after birth, okay? So, you know, at the age of two to three years old, that's when we began to effectively communicate. And from that point on, from the age of two to three years old, until about 13 to 15, typically, we would be terribly offended if someone called us out of our name. I mean, because that's all we knew, right? That's we were taught that, hey, your name, like in my case, your name is Linnell, and there's no reason for anybody to call you anything other than Linnell, right? And so somebody could say, hey, come here, little black boy, and I would be upset because that's not my name, 
right? And you might say, well, you know, that, that's true. At the time, if I was a, a young child, eight, nine years old, I was a little black boy because I'm a black man. So I had to be a little black boy at some point. But I think you guys get where I'm going. Like, there was an offense or like, why are you calling me that? Or who are you to say that? Right? But then something happens. But before that, let me let me keep on the same path. When someone called us a name, we would get offended so much so typically we would report that behavior or what was said to a parent or a teacher if they were available. Right. Because we were still in that tattletale stage where I'm a I'm a go tell on you. And the reason why we did that is, well, because it hurt because we knew something was wrong when somebody called us anything but our name. Then you fast forward a bit and something strange happens. We get so used to defending ourselves from name callers that we just start beating them to the punch as teenagers. Right. So as a teenager. It's not cool to go tell. It's not cool to be affected by what people say. It's not cool to correct everyone that wants to call you outside your name. If anything, just kind of got to roll your eyes and keep it moving. Right. And if we made a mistake, well, we quickly announce before anybody else could. Oh, I know I'm stupid. I'm an idiot. I'm a dummy. And all of a sudden, this becomes our behavior. But the fact of the matter is that it's not true. And I don't think I have to go back to, you know, some of the segments I've had a long time ago where we talk about how much words matter, like how much they matter. And here's the deal. If you think I'm making a big deal about something right now, you're like, okay, he's digging. He's, you know, he's making a big deal about this and ain't no big deal. Then I would challenge you to stop. If it's not that big of a deal, then try what I'm saying. Stop and see the type of impact that it has on how you feel about yourself. But here's the deal. No matter what mistake we make. We're not stupid. Because if you learn from the mistake, then there is no stupidity in that. Now, if you don't learn, well, that's a completely, that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> okay. But if you do learn, then you're not stupid. You're not a dummy. You're not an idiot because idiots don't learn. You know, people who are stupid don't learn. And, and let's be clear, you know, stupid is a part of the English language for a reason. And people do stupid things, but that does not mean that they're stupid. And nor does that mean that anybody should be justified in calling them that. It's a, a self-perpetuating prophecy, if you, you get what I mean. Okay, so that's argument number one. Now let's move to argument number two. Words do hurt. And I've actually covered this one before. And when I covered it, I believe I talked a great deal about Don Miguel Ruiz. So if you don't know who Don Miguel Ruiz is, he's the author of the book, The Four Agreements. Okay. And he talks about the power of words in his book. So, again, if you feel like I'm digging for something to talk about, you feel like words aren't that big of a deal, then you go read the four agreements and you read in particular. I can't remember exactly what chapter, but where he talks about be impeccable with your word, because in that chapter, he talks about why it is so important that we speak what we mean. As a matter of fact. One of the things that he says in the book 
is that it is important that we speak with integrity. Now, that word integrity, I'm going to dive into it a little bit because often we think of integrity as a form of righteousness or, or, you know, I'm doing everything right or I'm not doing anything wrong. And okay, that's fine. But I'm not necessarily interested in that definition of the word. The definition of the word integrity that I'm more interested in is kind of how we define it as coaches. And so for those of you who don't know, when I call myself Chicago, Chicago's very own life coach, that's because I'm a certified ontological coach. And in ontology, how we hold the word integrity is simply like this. Integrity means that your words, your actions, and your intentions are all aligned. This is why personal integrity means everything, because often we can look at someone and say, oh, well, they're not operating in integrity. But it's really tough for any of us from the exterior to really talk about whether someone's operating from integrity over where they are if we don't know whether or not their words, actions and intentions are aligned, because if they are aligned, then they are operating in integrity, regardless of what we think about it. So. Don Miguel Ruiz basically talks about the importance of speaking with integrity and then also saying only what you mean. So he talks about avoid, you know, he basically in the book, in the chapter, being impeccable with your words. He talks about avoiding the use of words to speak against yourself or to gossip about others. And he also talked about the importance of using the power of your words in the direction of truth and love. Keyword power of your words in the direction of truth and love. All right. So what did he mean? Well, words have power. And I'm, I'm right now. I'm, I'm trying to think as to whether or not I really want to go all the way there tonight. Maybe one of you guys will call in and ask a question. I'll have to go there. But the reason why I'm kind of teetering on the edge of going all the way there or not, because I really want to stay on self-love. But consider, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Because I just feel, I feel like I should. So consider that your words have an enormous amount of power and energy. And when you say whatever it is that you have to say, you actually put that out in your space. You put that out into someone else's space and it gets all over them. And I don't care what religion you are. If you believe in God and you believe that we are designed by God and we have the breath of God in us, that means we have a piece of God. And if God is a creator and we have a piece of God, that makes us creators, too. And if he spoke things into existence with his words, then you can speak things into existence with your words, too. That is where the power comes from. And if you're reckless with words, often we're speaking all types of chaos. Into our lives, and we don't even know it because we are not careful with our words or how Don Miguel Ruiz would say it. 
is speaking with integrity, saying only what we mean and avoiding the use of words to speak against ourselves and others. Therefore, using the power of our words only in the direction of truth and love because we can respect the power that words have. And that leads me to argument number three, which I believe would complete the arguments overall. And I think the best way to kind of finalize the argument is to ask you to induce your deductive reasoning skills. Okay. And this is in the area of of affirmation or self-affirmation. Okay. So if self-affirmation can create a positive reality for you, then surely self-defamation can create a negative reality, right? And to me, this is as simple as two plus two equals four. Like if I am basically providing myself positive self-affirmation and from that great things happen, then ultimately, if I'm creating self-defamation, then that will create the negative reality as well. All right. And like I said, two plus two equals four. Always has. That's a proven truth in mathematics. So self-affirmation and self-defamation also have consequential outcomes. And although the outcomes don't feel as tangible as two plus two, they produce a result that is very real. All right. Now, you might say, well, how do you know? I know because this is something that I've practiced. I uh, just recently, so Pam and I, we spent the first part of January creating our goals for 2015. And with those goals, we created affirmations. And I was sharing with her, I'm like, I know affirmations work because I actually have seen all of my affirmations come true. So some time ago, I uh, created some affirmations. I think it was probably like 2009, 2010. And I came, I came across the sheet. There's like maybe four or five affirmations where basically I was saying, you know, maybe twice a day, I am happy and grateful that. And then, you know, whatever the goal was or whatever it is that I wanted to create was at the end of that. So I'm happy and grateful that I, I don't know, let's, let's say I have a beautiful luxury car in my garage. All right. Let's say something that simple. Okay. And when I looked at the affirmations that I had created 2009, 2010, every last one of them had come true. And this is something I would repeat, you know, at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. You might say, all right, it's just coincidence. Not exactly. Because keep in mind, like what's on my mind, what I place in my mind, where I spend my time thinking about, what I spend my time thinking about is what I will produce. And so just by saying the affirmations every day, twice a day, that gave me a level of awareness around those things to the extent where I began to create it subconsciously. All right. So why am I sharing that? Because I believe that self-defamation will basically create itself the same exact way. If you're saying or doing things that defame who you are or take away from your life, from your power and from your greatness, 
then you will actually begin to basically create that in your space without even knowing it subconsciously. So I said all that and I shared those the three arguments in an attempt <laughs> to sway you that self-talk or self-bad talk is not the way to go. And here's here's my last attempt. Imagine in your mind someone who you love very much and like see their face. Can you see their face? Like imagine that person. And then ask yourself, would you talk to them the same way you talk to yourself? And if the answer is no, then you're very clear that there's some work to do. And so if there's anything that you get out of this segment from me, it would be to stop calling yourselves bad names. And even if the name is not a nasty name, stop calling yourselves bad names. Now, to kind of pile on, I want to talk about how we strengthen our minds, okay? Because one way is to begin just being very clear about what we talk about and what we don't talk about. But then another way is to become conscious and aware of what we're thinking about. And all too often, I continue to find that the greatest nemesis that I have is locked deep within me. And this nemesis is not only an enemy to me, but it is an enemy to all of us. And this adversary makes itself at home in our minds and creates thoughts, doubts and emotions that slowly chip away at our inner pride and self-confidence. And this nemesis or what I will call this voice, right? Because in our minds, that's basically what we're contending with is these voices. This voice, this nagging and discouraging whisper always seems to be alive and well, regardless of how good things are or how bad they may be. So if all is well, if everything is going well, this voice will mumble, well, for how long? How long will things go well? Surely this can't last. Are you guys familiar with this? And if things are bad, this voice will mutter, well, <laughs> you sure made a mess of this. <laughs> I don't even know why you try. You should just quit. And it's this internal rival that can extinguish aspirations. It can erase ideas. It dismantles dreams. And if given full control, this antagonist would probably take over until it has ruined our lives completely. And this enemy or this voice has a lot of names. And it's it's the same voice, the same enemy that has us calling ourselves bad names. And the names that it typically goes by are names like self-doubt, self-pity, shame, distrust. And the list goes on and on. And regardless of the name you choose, this thing, this, this cancerous notion inside of us is nothing but negative. And if you know what and who it is when it speaks, then you can do something about it. Now, here's the rules. Whatever power it has to destroy you, 
is given to it by you. You have full control. So in order to basically maintain the control over this voice, you have to raise your level of thinking because that really is the only way to to crush this voice or this enemy that's inside of us, this self-doubt, the self-pity, the shame, the distrust. So whatever you can't do, you can't do because that's what you believe. And whatever you won't do, you won't do because you simply refuse. And whatever you've tried and then fail, well, that's okay because you're still here, right? And if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And I stole that from an old school minister from the church I grew up in called Elder Duggar. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And so the biggest weapon you have against this arch enemy that we call self-doubt or or uh, self-pity, shame and distrust is really your own self-confidence and your ability to exercise self-affirmation. So if this voice whispers you can't, you have to tell yourself you can. And guess what? You might have to say it out loud and there might be people around. But who cares what they think when you know what you think? (laughs) And so you might have to say it 10 times every time you hear that wicked whisper and refuse to listen. If you hear you can't, you might have to say you can 10 times like, yes, I can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Ten times. But whatever it is, we have to begin to take some type of action against that voice of self-pity, self-doubt, shame, distrust. Because if as long as you let it run the show, then that is what's running the show. And if you want to take over the show, then you have to starve the voice. And how do you starve the voice? Well, You start speaking in a brand new voice. And here's the deal. Maybe it won't die. But what you can do is you can make it extremely weak. And how you starve something is just by not feeding it. So stop listening. And if you feel like you can't stop listening, then put something else on that you can listen to. Even if it's your voice saying that you can over and over again. If you got to loop it, then do whatever it takes. You know, I'm. (laughs) sometimes I wonder if you guys are really following what I'm saying. Like if you really, really want to achieve something, if you really want to get your self-confidence up, like if you have confidence issues, you got to remember that confidence is a behavior. Lack of self-confidence is a behavior. Behaviors are habits. And that means that you just have a lack of self-confidence habit. How do you break a habit? Well, you have to build a new one. How do you build a new one? You do something over and over and over again. It's that simple and it's that complex. And the reason I say complex is because you have to be persistent. You have to lock in on something as and say, that is what I want. I no longer want to lack confidence. I want to have self-confidence. I will be confident. Therefore, I will tell myself every day that I am confident. 
and you do it over and over and over again. And you begin to feed your brain and strengthen your mind that way. But you strengthen your mind by raising your level of thinking and realistically affirming the positive and visualizing, visualizing and dwelling on your aspirations and dreams. And I hear people all the time say, well, I have a hard time. You know, I don't think I can produce my dreams or it just seems to be too far away from me. But you don't you really don't think about your dreams. You're not visualizing this stuff. You're not really giving over to it. Because if you were, you would produce it because that's the only thing on your mind. But, you know, it's a nice to have. It's something that you think about that makes you feel good. But you're not really connected to that dream. You're not really connected to the aspiration because if you were, you would go get it. And that's what I'm saying tonight. Like it's time out for romanticizing about what it is that we want. And it's time to actually put our money where our mouth is. Go get it. Invest in yourself. It's fascinating. As a coach, I talk to people all the time and they, well, I want to know how much your services cost, Linnell, or I want to know what training you went through to get where you got. And as soon as they hear a price, they're like, ah, well, not so much. That's because you don't really want it. When you have something you want, you go get it. There are people right now driving cars they can't afford because they figured out how to make it work. But then you can't make your dream work, your aspirations, because you don't want it bad enough. All of our possibilities and exponential potential is a matter of how we master our minds. If there is any muscle that a human should exercise, it is the unequivocal, unequivocally, <laughs> I can't say it, but you know what I'm talking about. It is the muscle of the mind. What are you doing tonight to strengthen yours? This episode of Inspirational Perspective was recorded at the Midway Broadcasting Corporation in Chicago, Illinois, on WVON 1690 AM, The Talk of Chicago. Thank you for listening. Go to the Inspirational Perspective Facebook page and like the page. Follow Linnell Harris on social media at the handle Linnell Harris. You can find him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with that handle. Text INSPIRED to 43783 to receive free inspirational quotes and updates.